the book of Isaiah by some have been called the gospel of the Old Testament. For in Isaiah you find the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ 750 years before it happened. His incarnation, his life on earth, his suffering, and the hope of restoration in a time to come. It is called a major prophet, not because it is bigger than the rest of the prophecies, but because it has so much having to do with the life of Jesus Christ in his redemptive purpose for which he came. The sufferings of Jesus Christ was brought to our consciousness, I think some four years ago, when Mel Gibson brought out his movie, The Passion of the Christ. I was astonished as I listen to people who went to see the movie, as they talk about how much they became conscious of the sufferings of Jesus, people who have been Christians for, for perhaps longer than I have been, yet could not have envisioned that the sufferings of Jesus Christ was as was portrayed on the movie screen. And what I want to suggest to you this morning that what Mr. Gibson showed you on the movie screen is not all there is about the sufferings of Christ. It is deeper, wider, higher than even the human mind can ever see. And so this morning, as we prepare for Easter Sunday, I want to emphasize this morning the sufferings of Jesus the sufferings of Jesus. Because I, I am suggesting to you that one of the things that we have done is that we, we see Good Friday as when Jesus died for our sins. And, and when we think of the cross, we never think of the sufferings of Jesus. We simply think of the fact that he died for my forgiveness. And yet, without the sufferings of Jesus, there would be absolutely no forgiveness. As we shall see from our text this morning. The idea of a servant is introduced by Isaiah some four times in his prophecy. And each time in this emphasis, it is looking particularly at the Messiah. I give you that up front. And, and you, as you listen to the text read this morning, it, it begins with a, an attention getter. Behold. Behold, verse 13. Behold. That word behold is, 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 is saying, I want you to pay attention to this. Don't, don't miss this. Several years ago, Lois and I were driving up to Wild Cannon, uh, Wild Horse Cannon to see Christopher. He was working with um, Young Life 
and they invited us to come and see where our children were. Um, it was a good thing. Um, it was daytime. Um, because as we were going, we got way up to one of those places up there. And, and we stopped at a Safeway. And I asked the lady in Safeway, now we're going to this place, close to John Day. And uh, I said, is there anything between here and there that we could stop and get some breakfast? And she said, yes, there's a little place on the road that you, you will pass by and there's a gas station there and you can stop there and you can get where well, we drove and drove and got to Wild Horse Cannon, never saw the place. It was there, but I wasn't paying attention. I was so concerned with my journey that I missed my destination. <laughs> and, and this happens to us. And that's why this word behold is there. It is telling us, don't miss this. Don't allow this to escape your attention. It is not just a filling up space. It is an attention getter. Stop doing everything else and pay attention to this because if you miss this, you'll miss everything. And so the text begins then by saying, Behold, what? Behold my servant. The speaker is God. And God is laying claim on this servant. But this servant is not an ordinary servant. It is not a servant that has been brought under subjection against his own will. It is not a, ser a, a, a servant who because of some inferiority something was actually taken advantage of. It, it, it's not someone who, who was being dominated by another. The word servant here is being assigned to the mission that God the Father gave to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, listen if you please, listen if you please to Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and made himself of no reputation, listen now, but took upon himself the form of a servant. Took it. The word is to assume it. To embrace it. So in eternity, even before this was to take place, 750 years after Isaiah wrote it, it was accomplished in heaven between the members of the Godhead. God had planned the redemption of fallen man and the way by which it was supposed to take place was going to be designed by God, accomplished by God, for the glory of God. And so Jesus Christ came into the world as a servant to do something that was assigned to him that he accepted before the time. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 27, 
Jesus speaking to his disciples said, I am among you as one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. I am come not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And again, and again, and again, Jesus speaks of that in that way. Because you see, he was not here to do his own thing. Listen to how the prophet, the prophet Isaiah put it. Behold my servant. My servant. He's not here to please men. He's here to do the will of the Father. So he's there with my assignment. He's here for my purpose. He's here to accomplish my will. And when we read that God so loved the world, the way in which he was going to show his love was by accomplishing accomplishing it through his servant, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The claims... He was God's servant. In the midst of all that was taking place in his life, he was God's servant. Listen, please listen. When the saliva of his enemies met his face, he was God's servant. When the crown of thorns were put on his head, he was God's servant. And what you and I have yet to understand when we read Isaiah chapter 53, because Isaiah 53, by the way, is the fulfillment of what we're seeing in Isaiah 52. And when we read it was the Father's pleasure, it was the Father's pleasure to make his life an offering for sin. Jesus Christ, before it happened, said, Yes to it. Yes to it. The question was asked, who killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? One of my favorite men that I listen to quite often is John MacArthur. And oftentimes John will say, Jesus was murdered. And every time I hear my good friend John saying that, I, I would scream at the radio, No! Because Jesus wasn't murdered. You murder someone who is unaware of what was taking place. You murder someone who, who became a victim of somebody else's vicious ideas. Jesus wasn't murdered. Jesus was killed. And he was killed, please listen, by his father. Now this is, not, this, is, this is not what some theologians have called child, divine child abuse. No. When I say that Jesus killed, uh, was killed by his father, I mean that God made the death of his son an offering for sin. So here's his servant. Now I want you to see 
Again in verse 13, the competence of this servant. Look, if you please, at the transition that takes place. Look at verse, 12, uh, verse, 12, uh, verse 13, the first part. Behold my servant. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Wow. Then you go to chapter 53. And what do you see with the servant? Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1 says this. There is no, there is, there is no, uh, I want to give the exact word. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form and majesty that we should look upon him. What, what are we talking about? If this servant is to be high and lifted up and highly exalted, how, how, can, how do we get to, to verse 13, or verse 14, at the end of it? Just as many were astonished at him. Let, let me give you an illustration of this. Palm Sunday is when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. The children are, are celebrating this parade. The disciples are willing to take their garments off and put it in the, the ground uh, on, on the, the donkey and spread it so that he could walk over it, that he could have absolute use of it. What happened one week later? The same people that praised him a week earlier now say, crucify him. You see the transition? From Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, let me give you the transition here. Verse 13, behold my servant, he will prosper. That word means he will be successful in, in what he's doing. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you. From this, this description of this servant coming from heaven. And, and note if you please, you need to, 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 to note this. He will be, future tense. He will be high. He will be lifted up. You know when this will happen? This will happen after the resurrection. But before the resurrection, he has to go through the sufferings. Before he can get the crown, in heaven he has to wear the crown on earth. And the crown on earth was with thorns. The dignity and character of the servant is given in these words. Future exaltation. Jesus, who took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, therefore God has highly exalted him. The exaltation comes after the sufferings. Palm Sunday reminds us, my friends, that that was not the end of the journey. It was the beginning of the end. Palm Sunday reminds us that not a few days after the sun would hide its face and Jesus would cry out of three hours of darkness, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
my servant, my God. And between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, we see the sufferings of Jesus. Look at verse 14. Look at the reaction to the sufferings of Jesus. Many were astonished at you. Why were they astonished? Because of what they saw. Now, I didn't see the movie. I heard about it. Um, and I don't know that I know anyone who did. There's a movie came out some years ago called The Elephant Man. I, all I know is there's this guy who's supposed to have some grotesque face. That's about all I know. But, but people who went to see it, I can remember someone, I don't remember who said, when they saw it on the screen, they just hid their faces. They couldn't stand the sight of it. You know what the word to be astonished means? To be awestruck. To come to a place of being without understanding of what I am seeing. Now, please listen, friends. People have suffered in the world long before Jesus and after Jesus. And there have been philosophers who have made fun of Jesus because of this text. But they don't understand that what, why people were struck was not simply because of what they saw. Because what they saw was more than just physical suffering. Just take all the elephant man that you can put together and all the ugly things that you can see in accidents and put them all together, they still do not describe what Jesus was suffering on the cross that day. You see, it, it is not physical suffering. It is the suffering, as we shall see in a moment, whereby there was going to tear apart a relationship that existed from all eternity. There was going to be a break in that relationship, and the break was going to come in such a way that the very soul of the Lord Jesus Christ cried out because of what happened to him in his suffering. It is not physical. It is moral. It is ethical. It is spiritual. It is divine. And no human being knows what that kind of suffering is. No human being. Not even Mel Gibson could give you the understanding. He saw the outcome of that, but he does not know the cause of it. The reaction. And I want you this week, my friends, to think of that. Not to let this week just go by. Okay, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Next Friday is Good Friday. What am I going to do in the week? I'm going to go to work. I'm going to drive on a highway where people are going to get me angry. <laughs> Occupy your mind, my friends, with something more wonderful. Think, think, think it through. When Jesus 
lived that week. Think of the things that happened. Judas allowed Satan to enter his mind and collaborate with him to deny Jesus. To sell him out. Peter would say things to Jesus that caused Jesus to feel the pain of his ignorance. The anticipation of Friday. The departure. These are all the things that are happening within a week. Think, of, think if you please, we'll talk about this on Friday. Think about the fact, my friends, that, that in the middle of the night he was tried right through the day. And these trials are not only something where someone says something to you. It is where they took their words and they used their words as spears to go into your soul. This is all the sufferings of Jesus. It's not physical. It's spiritual. When we, when we see the picture, my friends, of suffering in the world, it is only telling us that human suffering, human suffering comes out of a separation from God because, just, just think of it, what would move a man to tell his generals to get ready to go into a part of his own country and drop a chemical, uh, a chemical bomb upon his people? What would cause a man to do that? Do you understand, my friends, what Jesus was going through? <laughs> Isaiah 53, 3 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what the word iniquity means? The word iniquity means the bent toward corruption. And God laid all the corruption of humanity upon Jesus. That's why in the garden when he said, shall I drink this cup? I can't. If there's any other way to go through this apart from drinking this, do I have to go through this, this absolute corruption of human beings? And the Father said, there's no other way. He was going to lose communication. I think I've reminded you of this. Every place in the New Testament, Jesus always referred to his Father in heaven. The only place in all the New Testament when he addressed him as God was when he cried out, why have you forsaken me? Because in those three hours, all my iniquities on him were laid. 
He bore them all to the cross. And when they saw him, they were appalled. That's what's going to happen, my friends, when we see Jesus afresh. It will be something that we do not even want to see. You know why? In Galatians, please listen. In Galatians 3.13, the scripture says that God made Jesus accursed. I looked up the etymology of this word curse. And part of the nuance of that word, you know what that word means? Get away from me! You disgust me. That's how God thinks of sin, friends. That's why, that's why Jesus was made a curse. That's what it means to curse. If you curse someone, you're saying you are abhorrent to me. And for Jesus to hear his father saying that was suffering beyond human comprehension. So when you I was talking to someone this past week, last two weeks. This person has come under a great deal of, of, of human pressure. And as this person sat, as I sat with this person, this person with me, this person related to me something that happened a few weeks ago that has brought relief to this person And I said to this person, by the way, it's not someone here, just in case you're wondering. I said, I can tell that something has happened to you. I can tell. Your feature is different. The lines of burden are not under your eyes right now. Your lips are not tight. They're free. Because it was set free. And my friends, when all that was on Jesus, that's why they were appalled. They saw more than human suffering. They saw the line of curse. The line of being aware that something has happened. He was made a curse for us. And please listen. What Jesus went through becoming a curse for you and for me. He did it so that you and I will not be a curse to God in the day to come. Let me go to my second point. The repelling of his suffering. First, it was how I react when I saw him. But what did I see? I've given you a little bit of that. His appearance. His appearance was, was marred. That is, to be disfigured. In fact, one theologian said, he was disfigurement itself. Look, 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 at, look at what, listen as I read Psalm 22, verses 13 to 17. Many bulls have surrounded me. This is prophetic again, prophetic about the sufferings of Christ. Many bulls um, have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan, have encircled me, 
They gape at me with their mouths as a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potshod, and my tongue clings to my jaw. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked has encircled me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Psalm 52, uh, 22, 13 to 17. Listen, I want you to look at something in that text. It says, he was marred more than any man. That means that no man has ever been marred like this. No man could be marred like this. His body. Look again in verse 14. So his appearance was marred and his form, that is his physical body, more than the sons of men. There are sufferings in the world, my friends, and no one would deny that. But no human being could suffer the way Jesus suffered. Because what he was suffering for was for the sins of the whole world. It was the justice of God being poured upon the innocent Son of God. And when he cried, he cried because God turned his back on him. That's what sin does. In the, as you study the New Testament, let me suggest something to you. When you read about the sufferings of Jesus, it is never in the singular. It is all, always in the plural. Sufferings, not suffering, sufferings. You check for yourself. Because, my friends, there is more there is psychological, there's spiritual, there's intellectual, there's physical, there is emotional. Those are the sufferings we can go through, but the one we cannot is the suffering of separation from God. That's the one suffering we cannot in any way go through. Only Jesus can go through that. So here we are then. Here we are. Behold, my servant will be successful. <laughs> but look, he carried our grief upon himself. He carried our sorrows. We mistakenly thought that he was suffering because something was wrong with him when he was there because of us. Please listen now. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was not there because he deserved to be there. He was there in my place. He was there in your place. He was there in your place. And because we have accepted the fact that he was there in my place, he then took on what was wrong with me to give me what was right with him. He became a curse for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why he's going to be successful. Look at the end of verse 15. It says this. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. What does that mean? 
To, to, to sprinkle means to remove a stain. Can you think, my friends, of a part of the world where the name of Jesus has not been taken, where men and women, boys and girls, have been set free from their sins? Can you think of a place in the world? There's no such place. He sprinkled many nations. Those flags represent nations where we have missionaries. Those flags out there are saying that the name, the gospel, has been taken to many nations. And people have said this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sprinkled many nations. He continues to do it. That's the result of his suffering. It was not in vain. He's going to be exalted. And when he went back to heaven, God said, you are my son coming back from being away. Today, you come and sit at the right hand of the majesty on high. Because he was successful. And one day, my friends, if you trust in Jesus, you will be where he is. He, he died for that purpose. That you and I might share his glory with him. That's what the sufferings of Jesus. Listen to what, what the writer to the Hebrews says. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. I learned this song when I was a young student at what is known as Urbana. If you are familiar with college students, go to Urbana every so, every two years. I think it's every four now. But I learned this song and I looked for it and I thought I'd like to quote this song in closing. Listen to it. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess him king of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. At his voice creation sprang at once to sight. All the angels faces, all the host of light, thrones and dominions, stars upon their way, all the heavenly order in their great array. But, humbled for a season to receive a name from the lips of sinners unto whom he came, faithfully he bore it, spotless to the last, brought it back victorious when from death he passed. I'll read the last verse now. Bore it up triumphant with its human light through all ranks of creatures to the central heights, to the throne of Godhead, to the Father's breast, filled it with the glory of his perfect rest. Christians, this Lord Jesus shall return with his Father's glory o'er all the earth to reign. For all the wreath of empires meet upon his brow. And today, we want to crown him Lord of glory now. My servant, my God, 
welcome home, son. You have finished the work of redemption. Now the message is to go out to people, to let them know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you have it? Are you cleansed? Have you been purged? Has he sprinkled you? When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, it takes place, friends, and we are clean before God because we make the great exchange between what we are and what his son was. And he gave that to us and what we were he gave to him. And today we sit with him in glory in heavenly places because he suffered. Father, help us never to see the sufferings of Jesus as our sufferings because he was the innocent suffering for the guilty. But help us to understand that when we see the Son of God suffering, we begin to understand suffering in our world. And Peter, who experienced this with him, said when he was reviled, he did not open his mouth. He kept on committing himself to the Father. And for all the sufferings of Jesus, he could still call God my God. And Father, I do not know who has come to this place this morning suffering. Mental, emotional, spiritual. Oh, may they find their refuge in you. May they be able to see something of the sufferings of Jesus Christ that can bring relief to theirs. As we take these moments to respond to you, may your spirit complete the work he has started. Father, I pray that none of us will leave this place as we came in, but that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and bring it home to us so that we will say like the hymn writer, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Amen. <laughs>